glad you guys are here. And as we kind of come into our series and, and our, our Advent series, uh, I want to change things up from what we would typically do. And I want to just read a couple of very quick, short verses, simple truths to begin to, to take our mind and begin to, to push it and encourage it toward the text that we'll dive into and study today from John chapter 1. So let me read uh, Hebrews 13 for you, and, and let's just think about this for a second. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so before you were born, he was the same. And no matter what circumstances have changed in your life or frustrations or what your week has looked like, I know for me that this is a significant truth for this week. And this is just a, a, this is a place I can go back to and be reminded that no matter what has happened, I have a constant, and his name is Jesus. Colossians uh, chapter 2 tells us this. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, that's God. So in Jesus, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. So we have a God who has come to us in human form, and he is the same, and he has not changed, and he has pursued us by being born as a baby. And so let's be reminded of those truths and, and join me as we pray and thank the Lord for those things. Father, we are grateful for this chance to just be reminded of, of Jesus today, of what, um, what he has done and how he is fully God and how he has uh, been uh, born fully man and what this, how this impacts our lives. And I pray as we study um, John chapter 1, as we study... Um, in, in your word that you would absolutely reveal these truths and what they mean for us. And, and God, how we can then take action to be more like Jesus, who is you. He is God. And so we celebrate this. This is, this is exciting and this is good. And this is why we, we come together in his name. Amen. And so... Uh, this is our Advent series, and we're going to take a little break from what we have been doing. We've been studying the offices or the roles of Jesus. And so Jesus is a prophet. He is a priest. We've handled those two things in the last two weeks. And we're taking a break this week, and next week we'll talk about how he is king as well. And so this week we need to talk about how he dwells in bodily form. How he, uh, we talk about this, this big spiritual uh, idea, truth, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He has been incarnated, right? We're talking about the incarnation. Now, let me just go ahead and put this out on the table. That if you miss this idea, then I'm just going to tell you, you've missed God completely. If you miss this truth, then you've missed God. So this is essential that for, for Christians. If we don't get this, then we've, we've missed God. We, we've completely gone the wrong direction. And so um, the word incarnation, if you're like, well, what exactly does that mean? We'll talk about that. It, it's, a, it's based off a Latin word, which means uh, what the Latin word carne, which means meat. So today after church, you're going to leave here and you're going to go eat Mexican food and you're going to eat Chili con carne, right? Chili and meat, right? And so Jesus is Yahweh con carne, right? He is God with meat, right? God with flesh. He is put on flesh. And this is, so every time you eat Mexican now, you think of Jesus and you're welcome. You're just welcome, right? Uh, 
I can't take credit for that joke, but that one was pretty funny. It was a buddy messing around this week. And so this is the, honestly what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Because there are many religions in the world, and they don't deny that Jesus was a man. So Muslims, they, well, Jesus was a prophet, right? Buddhists, well, Jesus was a good man. But they do deny that Jesus was God. And so that is the big dividing factor and the big distinction. And that's why if you miss this truth, you miss God. Okay? This is where the, one of the dividing lines of Christianity and a key primary truth doctrine that we can't miss. Okay? So I know it's Christmas and... I, if you guys are like us, when you started your family, you begin to think about, oh, what are we going to do for Christmas? We got to have family Christmas traditions, and you got to think about what all those things are, and well, we're going to start new ones, and this is what we used to do, and in our family, and then your spouse says, well, this is what we used to do, and then we're like, well, what are, you, what are we going to do? You know, and so one of the things that Katie and I begin to do with our kids. Is every Christmas, Katie begins to make some hot chocolate, and she gets it all perfect, you know. And then she starts taking that hot chocolate and pouring it into sippy cups for the kids, not for me, for the record. <laughs> you know, as a parent, you do a lot of heating up of food, and then you have to wait and cool it down, don't you? That's ridiculous. This just drives me crazy. But anyway, that's a side. That's free. And then you, so she's pouring it into the sippy cups, and she'll screw the lids on super tight and, because we're putting them in the car. And so we'll go pile them into the car with our hot chocolate, and we'll do our annual trek around Smyrna, and we start looking at, uh, at Christmas lights. The kids love it. They absolutely, this is one of their favorite things to do. And so we did that this past Tuesday. We, we threw them in the car, and, and the, the, the goal is that they might fall asleep by the time we get back home, and so you don't have to fight bedtime, right? And, uh, you know, it's whatever, whatever it takes. Um, and so... We were driving around Smyrna, and, and it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the kids are just pumped. I mean, they're excited, and they're, 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 they can't wait to see the lights, and we're going from house to house. Do you see that? Mom, stop. I can't see that. I didn't get to see it. Well, you're looking out the wrong window. Oh, well, stop. And, you know, you're, you're like dodging traffic and cars and stopping in the middle of the road just so they can see that elf climbing that ladder. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just so much fun, honestly, for us. And, and we come into this neighborhood, and we kind of go down this cul-de-sac, and, and it's just this awesome house as far as Christmas lights, and just, just cover the yard, you know. And um, it kind of in the middle of the Christmas lights, sort of in the front of the yard, there's this just very simple and beautiful nativity scene. And so Katie, um, she you know, talks to the boys, he said, boys, you see baby Jesus? And of course they're like, where's he at? You know, I can't see him, you know, and they're looking for him and through the window and, um, oh, I see him, mom, I see him, you know, and, and they see this great picture of the incarnation of Jesus being born, uh, of God being born as a man, fully God and fully man. And then we, we like turn around in the cul-de-sac and we're coming up the street and Carter says, mom, stop the car. I just need to pray for a minute. You know, so he's our five-year-old. And so Carter goes into this very sweet prayer. He says, Lord, thank you for baby Jesus. And thank you that he was born as a man so that he could die in my place so that I wouldn't have to. And he just goes into this beautiful prayer. And I'm just like, oh, it's so good. You know, it's a story. And uh, seriously, that's what I look like when I cry. Uh, but... It was just awesome, and it was just this great reminder of what this truth means. 
It is so simple that a five-year-old can grasp it. Yet it is so complex that we don't fully understand it all. Because God became to this world and he wrapped himself in flesh. And so this is what we're after today. It's a beautiful thing. And so as we study this, we're going to kind of break this time up into two parts. So you kind of know where I'm going. We're going to talk about him being fully God first. And so we're going to be basically in John chapter 1. So you go ahead and be there. And you'll kind of keep your thumb there the whole, di- the whole, the whole day. So we're going to talk about him being fully God. And then we're going to talk about him being fully man as well. That is what incarnation is. You cannot have one without the other. And so he is fully God. He is fully man. And so that is just this beautiful truth. Um, And he is a God with the people. He is one who has come to take the place of the sinner upon the cross. Um, This is awesome. And so John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let's go. Uh, In the beginning was the word... And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, uh, first of all, before we dive into this, my question was, as I began to study this, why does John call Jesus the word? Why does he use that name for him? Uh, And you know, that's a fair question, you know, and, and I begin to look and study and try to figure this out. And it's actually, John is just so smart right here. He is, what John is doing is he's using one word that appeals to both audience, to two different audiences. So two of the main streams of thought in the day, John wrecks their ideas with using one name for God here, the word. Now, what he's doing in the Jew's mind is the Jew would say, well, uh, the Jew already had used this word or used this name of God, the word, to refer to God. So, uh, what he's saying to the what he's doing in the Jews' mind is he's saying, "Hey, God is Jesus." Does that make sense? So the word God, or so the name, the word is God, and that God is Jesus. He's the Father, and He is Jesus too. So uh, that's the issue with with Jews, right, and with with the Jewish belief. They were looking for a Messiah to come, and John is saying the Messiah has come. He's God in flesh, and his name is Jesus. Don't miss him, because if you miss him, you miss God. And so um, then for the other side of thought was the Greek way of thinking and and you know the very humanistic approach and they 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 held up the mind above the human mind above all other things and you know um that was sort of their 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 belief system and uh so he was saying to the greek they used the word to refer to a a and i'm quoting something a rational principle of something that governs the universe so they didn't really know like if there was God or not, but they felt like there was something greater and that there was some kind of rational principle in which they could act and live upon and which would make the world a better place. Yeah, his name is Jesus and he's the word. That's what John is saying. That rational principle that upholds the universe and governs the universe, he is Jesus. And so John is using this one name to point Jews and Greeks to Jesus and say he is God. Okay, I mean, just that dude, that's smart. He's so sharp. I, I love that. And so as he, as he goes on, he really opens up his first sentence in, in, in his first even phrase in, uh, in, in verse 1. Just, I mean, throwing some haymakers, just big time stuff. He says in John 1, 1, 
it says, in the beginning was the word. Now, I think this is very critical because when I say in the beginning, you think of another verse, don't you? You think of John, or excuse me, you think of Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what John is saying is that in the beginning was Jesus. So Jesus was there at the creation of the world. Jesus was there at the creation of time. So Jesus was with God. This man, born of a baby, born of a virgin, he was with God in the beginning. And this is key and this is critical. So he starts beginning to unpack what the word is and, and who the word is. So then the next phrase he goes on and he says, and the word, um, go back to the first verse there, and the word was with God. Now, this simply means that if I'm with my wife, then we are together, yet we are separate, right? And I mean, we're, we're, we're one in Christ, we've been married, but yet we are two different parts and we work together in, in unison. Well, the same with, with Jesus here, with the Word. The Word was with God. He coexists with God. And so there's this idea that he was with God in the beginning and that he has an intimate relationship with the Father now. And then John goes on and he really lays it on right here. He, he's a knockout punch. And he says, and the Word was God. So at the beginning or at the end of verse 1, it says, um, go back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So this here, he's equating to the Jews and to the Greeks and to his audience that he's writing to. Jesus is God. He coexists with the Father. He has an intimate relationship with the Father. He was in the beginning with the Father. And he has all the authority, all the power of the Father. In fact, if we, if we kept going on in, in verse 3, we would see that he, there wasn't a thing made in the world that we see that wasn't created through him, right? So he, he, is, he is the creator that the word Jesus is not just a man, that he holds all the attributes and nature and character of God. He is God. Jesus is God. And so this is, you can imagine, just wrecking the minds of the Jews, and they're just flustered, and the Greeks, they can't, this, this man is God as well? And it's just this awesome argument that John lays out here, which is uh, using one term, to refer to Jesus as the Word, and then, um, and then we we see Jesus here as this um, authoritative, equated with God, and this Creator, and and that's awesome, and that explains so much when you read the testimonies and the witnesses of Jesus, doesn't it? Because you always wondered how Jesus could walk on water. You always wondered how Jesus could calm the raging seas, and you always wondered how Jesus could heal the sick, and how Jesus could yell. Forth to Lazarus, Lazarus come out and the dead man respond. I mean, this is the power and the authority and the control of Jesus Christ because he is God and he is fully God. And so that's exactly what John is arguing here. And so to not to deny that Jesus is God is to really make Jesus a normal person. Now, what I'm about to say to you is the most debatable truth that I will share with you today, okay? I'm a pretty normal guy. I know that's debatable, right? Uh, but I, for the most part, I've got my quirks, obviously. But um, if Jesus is like me, then we've got some issues, right? Jesus is fully God, 
And so that makes this truth amazing because if he was a normal person, then he could not have, it, uh, he could not have achieved what he achieved upon the cross. And so we go to, um, we go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and we see that, that there's no way that Jesus is a normal person. There's no way that Hebrews 1, 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and, here you go, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And I'll stop there and let you guys read forward. But he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I mean, this is Jesus, the exact imprint of God, the exact imprint, the exact character of God. This is who he is. And so when we ask the question, and I think this is a fair question to ask, and I think all of us have asked this question at one point in time. What is God like? You know, that, that's a baffling question to many. And we say, well, what is God like? I mean, and so a lot of people, they run to, to, other, to other ideas and thoughts like science to try to explain God. Well, is there one that is greater and, you know, all this? And they, they run to, to other religions and try to explain it. Well, if I just meditate and clear my mind of, these, of everything, then maybe I could understand what God is like. Well, my understanding of meditation is you, you fill your mind with the word and then you'll understand what God is like. You meditate upon those things. Or, or you know, maybe if I just I get this other degree or this education, maybe I'll come to a greater understanding of who God is and I'll actually be able to answer this question that people have been asking since the existence of time. But, see, here's the deal. If Jesus is the exact imprint of God and his nature and his character and the radiance of, of the glory of God and, and he upholds the universe, if you go anywhere else but Jesus, then you've missed God and you can't answer, answer that question. So if you want to know what God is like, then look to Jesus, is what I'm saying. If you want to know what he is like, then study his word. Dig into the Bible. Understand the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and then you will see what God is like. And so John continues on in his argument to these Jews and these Greeks and laying out these truths to them in verse 4. John says, In him, Jesus, the word, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so in this verse, you have John laying out two concepts here, two ideas. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Right, So you have life and light. And so these two things, they go together. And let me walk you through that process. So John is saying here that Jesus brought life and he brought light. I have to, say, I have to enunciate well to get those two things out. Right, All life originates in Jesus. We know that. John's already argued that. He said he was there in the beginning. And then in verse 3, he said there was not one thing made that has been made. Right, That Jesus didn't make. Right, He's made all things. And so you already see John laying this out. And then he says that all life you know, has been made. He's the creator of all things. And then he, he shifts gear to this life. And so this is this idea of spiritual life. Not necessarily just physical life. Not just breathing and eating and drinking and those sorts of things. John is laying out that there is a spiritual life. In him is life. Eternal life is what I'm getting at. To go ahead and get to the punchline there. But in other words... The problem is, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, us, me. That's my problem with God, is me. And so the issue is, I am spiritually dead 
and I'm spiritually blind. I am. I'm spiritually dead and I'm spiritually blind. I am totally depraved. I can't, there's not one part of me that is good because of the sin that is in my life. I, I, I can't get it right. I get frustrated. The thoughts that even scroll through my head are just scary to me, right? It's like, I can't even believe I just thought that. You know, I, 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 I say this thing against my wife and I, I anger her and I hurt her. And I can't, I, it's just, I can't get it right. I am totally depraved every day, every day. I am a selfish fool who can't get it right. But the beauty is that's not the end of the story. John is saying here that Jesus is the remedy to that issue. Jesus is the medicine to heal those, those, those wounds. He has the life we need and provides the light we need to see, right? The perfect example. Let's go to John 5.21. Let me read this to you. The Son gives life to whom he will. So in other words, let's think about back to that story of Lazarus. So if, this, if Jesus gives life to the, to the one he wills, think of Lazarus. He is in a tomb. He has been dead for an extended period of time. And Jesus walks up and by the words of his mouth, he says, Lazarus, come forth, come out. And a dead man responds. He has given life to one who was once dead. And Lazarus arises and he gets up. And when you're alive, you're, you're able to open your eyes. And you're able to see, aren't you? You're able to... So, so Jesus has given life and he has given light to Lazarus who is, who is dead and now alive. And to uh, one who was blind but now can see. And so, so is the same with us. Jesus is the word who gives life to us who are spiritually dead. And those of us who are blind and we cannot see, he gives us life. And then he gives us light so that we can see. So that's why uh, if, we, if we go on down and, and we read the story of Jesus to Nicodemus. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this idea continues in Scripture. It's not just isolated here in this passage. It is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. So uh, if you are born again, when my children came out of the womb and they were born and I was holding them in my arms, what did they do? Their eyes opened and they began to see. You know? And so Jesus is the one who has given life and he has given light so that we can see. See what? So that we can see God. So that we can see God. If you do not look at God through the lens of Jesus, you will have missed him completely. And so as, as we come to the, this through these ideas of, of how Jesus is fully God and what that means and what those implications are for us, I want you to know that not only is John and the author of Hebrews and, and all these other writers of the New Testament claiming that he is God, that God claims that Jesus is God. In, in Scripture, Jesus makes that claim. He does not deny it. He specifically states, this is who I am. Don't miss it. And so in John, um, again, in 1030, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He's not saying, oh, we're two, we coexist. No, he's saying, I am God. I am God too. Don't miss me. I and the Father are one. We are united. We're not separate we are united. And then 
John again, verse 14, 7, says, If you had known me, Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why have we seen him? Because we have seen Jesus. Again, this idea of seeing comes up to play. This is a consistent theme uh, that we continue to see. Uh, you like how I said continue to see? You like that? Yeah, I didn't, didn't even plan that. Um, so with this idea that Jesus is fully God, we, we come to this. It reminds me of, of this C.S. Lewis um, where he, he talks about, you know, the, he's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, but he was also a professor at, at Cambridge and at Oxford, just a smart dude, and he was studying Christ one day. And he came to this conclusion about Christ being fully God, his deity. He said that either uh, if Jesus is claiming to be God, that he is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. And I, I was thinking about that this week. If he is a liar, then he is one of the most self-disciplined liars I have ever met in my life. I met a lot of liars. I used to work with kids, right? No, I'm... <laughs> And, but seriously, I mean, you think about that. To hold to a lie for that extended period of time while you're, oh, yeah, while you're being rejected and spat upon and beat. And then, oh, wait, let's nail you to a cross. And you just hold on to that lie till you die. I mean, to that point, I mean, that takes some, that's crazy. You know, you poke me in the ribs and I'm like, I'm sorry, I lied. I didn't mean to. You know, I mean, this is, this is what that would mean. And if he was a lunatic, and I'm not trying to belittle or anything, I've seriously, you know, through the years in ministry, uh, been able to serve along some, some individuals who've had some uh, mental illness. And uh, the, one of the consistent themes that pop up in their life is they have a very difficult time oftentimes holding true to the same consistent story. Right? Uh, this is one I was reflecting on that. And so you see that, I mean, Jesus' story is consistent. Not only is it consistent from his mouth, but there are multiple witnesses who've written down multiple reports of his life, and all those are consistent. So this must mean, then, that he is Lord, right? He is Lord. And so if we come before a Lord, then a response must be given. I mean, when do you walk before a king and do not kneel or bow and submit to their authority? And so this, if this truth is true, if this is real, then we must respond. We cannot be complacent with where we are. We must, we must adhere and move to this claim. So I started thinking about what does that look like for me this week? And, and I'll be honest with you. We had a really tough week this week in our family. You know, if it could happen, it was going to happen. Garage door opener goes out, car repair, big car repair. Um, you know, all this stuff just begins to pile on. And I'm sitting in the dealership beginning to think about, what does it mean for me that Jesus is fully God? And I, I'm literally, I can just feel the tension in my back. as I Is this going to be a warranty claim on our car? Or am I going to have to pay this out of pocket? Now i got to deal with this dealership and this dealership and this corporate and this corporate entity. And it's just trying to figure all this out. It took four days. And it just began to weigh on me and weigh on me. And then I had this. I had to get ready and preach. And I couldn't focus on it because of all this stuff that just was, I was drowning in. My issue was that I forgot that Jesus was fully God. Because when I was sitting there in that dealership and it was, my back was hurting just to the stress, I remembered that Jesus 
He's fully God. I have one who has come to me. And he is fully God. He has wrapped himself in flesh. And these thousands of dollars that could possibly be there that I may have to pay out of pocket, they are minimal. Because my Lord knew this day would come in my life. Because I was created through him. And that, that van was a gift from him. That, you know, all these things become very small when we realize what it means that Jesus is fully God. And, you know, when I was thinking about um, you know, one, one of our members of our family just went through this serious, uh, very critical illness and, and months in the hospital. And, and what does that mean for her that she would go through that? What does this truth do for her? It just provides such great comfort. I was reminded of Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, and I'm going to read these to you. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I don't know about you, but when I come through a week like this, and I hear Jesus, who is God, say, Come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. I just go, Whew. You know, you can feel that tension and that stress and that anxiety flee your body when you realize that truth and what that means for you. This is what it means when Jesus says that he is fully God. That we have rest for our souls. And we have one who has a lighter load. And who has willingly said, I will take the heavier one. The heavier one was when he died upon the cross. He took the heavier one then. And he has given us a lighter load. And that load is light and life. And so let's hold fast to that. So we cannot talk about the incarnation. And knowing that Jesus is fully God. Without knowing and holding true to the fact that he is fully man as well. Right? I mean, this is a big part of, of the incarnation. This is 50% of it, right? So the, this is the whole wonder of it all. How does God become man? How does he become this perfect humanity? I mean, you think about it. Because of inherited sin in our life, so the sin we got from Adam and Eve and, and humanity after they sinned and brought that into this world as we know it, because of that inherited sin, God is unattainable for us. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, out of God's presence. And so are we. And so God is unattainable to us. And we cannot get to him. We cannot reach him. The moment we are conceived, we are apart from him. We are far from him. And so we would say, well, we lost God. But the truth is, God was never lost. God was never lost. I mean, we think we can reach him, right? The problem is we can't even reach the store in Smyrna without pulling Siri out and asking for directions, can we? So what makes us think that we can actually get to God on our own? You know, this, uh, it's, this, is our, this, is, this is what happened to me this week, right? I had to feel like I had to do all this on my own, and I forgot the truth of the incarnation that brings peace. And, 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 and so the beauty of, of this is that in the incarnation, God responds to us. When we can't reach him, he comes to us. And that's what it means for Jesus to be fully man as well, right? So he's a God with the people. So I want to take you back to John 1. Let's read verse 14 and let's begin to talk about this and unpack this. And the word, 
He comes back to the word again, right? We know what that means. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. We've seen, remember, his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so I love this. The word became flesh, and so we have God taking on flesh, right, carne, and he dwelt among us. Now, when I, when I was digging around studying, I, this is, to me, a direct, uh, this is the same theme we see in Scripture of God dwelling with his people. This is directly takes us back to the, the Old Testament with Israel, and they're, they're wandering through the desert, and they have, God had commanded them to build a tabernacle, which is a tent, it's like a mobile temple, okay, mobile church. Why did God command them to do that? Because he wanted to dwell with them, right? He wanted to be with them. And so God came down to be with the people. God dwelled with them in the tabernacle. And then when they would pull up camp and they would pack up the tabernacle and they would move locations that God would lead them, how was God leading them? He was leading with them by cloud by day and fire by night. Why? So that they could see him. This is a consistent theme. God is not doing anything different. And I'm going to tell you that excites me. We just see it expressed differently. In fact, through Jesus Christ, we see it expressed perfectly. Because no longer do we have to do the things of the law. Because Christ has fulfilled them. And we'll get there in just a second. And so the word became flesh means here in this text that Jesus He's entered human history. This does not be, mean that, okay, God just created him, okay? Because we know in John 1, 1, the, verse, the very first phrase, in the beginning was the word, right? And the word was with God. So we know that Jesus is God, he is fully God, and that he has not been created. And so when the word becomes flesh, he's entered human history and taken on that flesh, he's been born as a baby, that's what he's saying here. He's been born uh, as, as, as Jesus. In this birth of Jesus, at the birth of Jesus here at Christmas, we have to realize that that is a big part of it. We're not only celebrating his humanity, we're celebrating the fact that, honestly, he has not been created. He already was. He is God. And so um, th we're seeing incarnation represented in the birth of Jesus. So why did Jesus... Let me ask this question. Why would Jesus leave his supreme privilege of heaven to be born and to be wrapped up in flesh on earth and dwell among us? Why would he? Well, the answer to that is because God accommodates us. God accommodates us. Just like I would accommodate my children, right? Um, you know, one of the big shockers for me when we had our, our oldest, Carter, um, you know, I, I, I'd worked with a lot of kids. I, you know, I'd worked with preschool quite a bit, actually, and worked with elementary. And so there wasn't a lot that Katie and I were really shocked at. But the biggest thing, and you're going to say, dude, you're so naive. And you're, you're welcome to. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I own that. The biggest thing when Carter entered the world, I realized how selfish I was. How selfish I was. I can't believe he's crying. I'm totally eating this bowl of cereal. Can he not hold it down for a second? You know, I mean, obviously that's a little ridiculous. But at the same time, there's that frustration that dwells up like, oh man, again, right? So when our kids sleep, we sleep, right? So when our kids sleep, we get to go to the bathroom, right? That's what that looks like. Um, you know, when our kids walk, we walk slower. 
When our kids need, uh, um, need someone to talk to them and they can't hear, we have to kneel down and speak to them face to face, don't we? We accommodate our children. That's what this looks like. That's what this looks like. That's what God is doing for us. But the problem with our kids is that um, they're whiny and they're needy. And, and um, sometimes they're violent. They get mad and they get frustrated when they don't get their way. And, and they get downright rebellious and, and hostile. I mean, just this week, uh, Katie got assaulted because one of the boys didn't want to wear the pajamas she had picked out for her, right? You know, had to go in there and crush the rebellion. But we're all good. No big deal, right? This is just, this is just what that looks like. Uh, this is, and, and this is what it looks like for us. I mean, because you think about it. We were needy, and we were whiny, and we were rebellious, and we were hostile toward God. Yet God accommodates us. He comes to us in bodily form when we could not go to him. He comes to us. And so God is accommodating us. And that, um, and we stepped off the throne here where he was supremely worshipped and he stepped into our world. And why did he step into our world? Oh, it's so he could be mocked or rejected or, or beaten to a point where he couldn't even recognize his face. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea to accommodate someone, right? No. I mean, this is just his great supreme definition of love. There is no other definition of love outside of the gospel. Because on the cross, Jesus defined love and he demonstrated it. And that is just what we celebrate when we celebrate the incarnation, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So think of all the ways for a second. Let's do a little exercise. Think of all the ways Jesus could have come here, okay? He's God. He can do what he wants to. So if I'm God, how could I have come here? Well, he could have just descended from heaven, and he could have just came down to earth. Well, the problem with that is, I mean, you think about what we might have said as time had passed. Well... Is he really fully man too? I mean, think of, he, he just descended from heaven. But is, is he man too? Is he really fully man? Does he really wrap himself in flesh and put on bodily form and dwell among us? Or is he, is he just God? Well, or, okay, instead of being born of a virgin and, and, and conceived by God and born of a virgin, what if he was born by two earthly parents, just like me and you? Oh, that's a problem then he would be just like me and you, right? We would say, well, is he really God? Or is he normal, right? Now, um, yeah. And so that's the genius of the virgin birth. This is what God is doing. He is coming to us and he is showing us here in the birth, the virgin birth, that he is fully God, that Jesus is fully God, and that he is fully man. That truth is representation of the incarnation, Right? And so the deal is that Jesus here broke the lineage of sin. No longer did sin have any effect on him like it did us. When we were conceived, we were born into sin, right? And we, we had brought, been brought into a world of sin. Well, Jesus was conceived by God. And so he broke the lineage of the inherited sin of Adam and Eve to the rest of humanity. Because he was not... He was not uh, conceived by man, he was conceived by God, and he broke that. And so then he was born of a woman, so he was fully God, fully man, and then he lived an, a perfect life. So the law of God that had been laid out, he fulfilled to a T. 
He didn't miss any of it. It was perfect. And so every day he didn't fail to love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength as the greatest commandment is. He was able to do those things. And because he was able to do those things and because he was perfect and, and made, was able to make those things happen, when he died, he was that perfect sacrifice. And so that's what this means. That's what the truth of the incarnation looks like for us. That's what, um, that's what Jesus did. He modeled surrender and he modeled um, um, submission. He modeled humility for us. And as I think about that, I really thought about, okay, what does it mean for me that God is full or that Jesus is fully God? What does that mean for me? Well, I mean, if he was submissive and humble and he came to us, does that mean that that individual at work that's not pulling their, their load on that project and, and that they're struggling to, to do anything on that, does that mean that I'm to go to them in humility and I'm to reach out to them and to help them to make this right, to get this done? You know? Does that mean that for the family that's about to walk into your house at Christmas... That honestly, you've not spoken to or don't really care to speak to, except you have to, you feel obligated to once a year, Christmas time. And you're honestly kind of hostile to each other, even though it may not be hostile words shared, it's just, you know, you're not best of friends. Does that mean that you come to them in submission and humility and you reach out to them as Christ has reached out to you? As Christ came to you, you go to them. In his name. I think that's what that looks like. I think that's what that looks like in my life. And I think that's the point that the Lord has led me to this week. Because I've struggled to, to think about what this would mean. I'm going to ask the band to come back out. And as they do, I, I want to say that I, I mentioned this earlier. But the incarnation is what sets true Christianity apart from other religions. I mean... Because you think about it, other religions say that you have to go find God. And you find him through that meditation that we talked about. You find him through, oh, being a good person. Oh, you just got to work harder and do better. That's how you get to God, right? Well, there's only a problem with that. The problem is that we are the problem. And the problem is that sin is in us. And so if we try to clean up our mess with a dirty hand, what do we do? We just smear the mess even more, don't we? And so our hand has been made dirty with sin. And all we do is smear that around when we try to do it all on our own. And so we need one who will come and rescue us. One who is fully God and who is fully man to do that for us. And that's why Jesus is better than religion. That's why Christianity isn't about us going to, to God. It's about God coming to us. That's why it's not about um, our works. It's about his works. It's about Christ's work upon the cross. It's not about what we do. It's about what God did, right? And so the gospel is all about Jesus being born of a virgin. He is fully God and he is fully man. And this means that God dwells with the people. So it's in, in his humanity that Jesus was the high priest who was the perfect sacrifice because he had not sinned. And he was, what, the prophet who is also today we saw is the word as well. 
And he is the king who we will hear about next week, who is the humble servant. And this means that we have a God who is with us. And this is what the incarnation means for us and the truth and how this impacts our lives. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to be here and to to gather in your name. To think about what the name of Jesus means and about the fact that we can call him by name. That we can have a relationship with him because he has wrapped himself in flesh and dwelled among us. And Father, thank you for the, the truth that is Jesus. That he was fully God and that he was fully man. And, and how those truths impact our life, not just now, but for eternity. That those truths give us a chance to have a relationship with you because you pursued us. And so I pray for, uh, that, we would, that you would help us to receive you today. That we would receive your son with open arms as we worship and as we move forward in this day. It's in Jesus' name.